This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. You don't just start throwing your hands on your acquaintances' tummies. Above the Gilmore Slayer, I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch Season 7, Episode 7 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Conversations with Dead People. As well as Gilmore Girls, French Twist. I enjoyed watching these with you. Yeah, I think one of them is really, really good. And the other one is fine. Okay. I'm not going to say which. They were both better than I expected. I'll say that. Okay, okay. These episodes actually are somewhat structurally similar. Yes. In that there are kind of several separate stories happening Mm -hmm. that all sort of have like twist endings. That's true. It's interesting. Well, this is kind of fun. You just showed me a mad TV sketch about Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I briefly mentioned it in the last podcast. But Brian said he had not seen it, so I showed it to him. I linked it in the last podcast, but I'll link it again in this one. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I'm guessing it was made around season four of Gilmore Girls based on context, but it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. I feel like Mad TV, I watched it as a kid, and I did enjoy it as a child. But at some point, I feel like Mad TV, like, I don't know, they just never really perfected parody. So the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, it's like almost very funny. But some of the ideas they have are good, and I like what they do. The impressions are pretty good. Yeah. I like that they're just constantly like, is that funny or is it just really fast? Mm -hmm. I love how they always like just fall on the ground and giggle on their backs, (laughs) which is like making fun of one specific episode, but they've like never done that again. Right. How are your ailments this week? So many ailments. So I don't know where we left off on my hands. Um, They knew about your night gloves, but I don't think you had been diagnosed with anything at that time. Gotcha. Did a teledoc appointment. Guy's like, oh, you have really bad eczema. So he gave me some steroid lotion that I've been putting on at night. Got to wear my gloves. And uh, that's been helping. So my hands have been getting better. But also, I threw my back out. So yeah. I've just been totally helpless. Can't use my hands. Can't use my back. This podcast hurts to sit and do. Yeah. Stacey's been helping me out a lot. She's a great partner. It was very funny because every night right now, I put on my steroid lotion. And then Stacy helped me put on some latex gloves, which she then tapes tight so they don't come off. Yeah, it's the whole thing. So I look like a little genie with like bands around my arms. Yeah, and then we got to make sure you got all your pillows for your back. I'm a mess. There's no room for me on the couch because he's got to lay down. Yeah. But hopefully you get better soon. Yeah, hopefully. Because I miss the couch, babe. <laughs> I want to sit on the couch. Luckily, Resident Evil 4 just came out, so... I've been playing that remake. That's been helping me through all of yesterday. Stacy's been an all-star. I just want to make that clear because I've been such a broken person lately. So thank you, Stacy, for helping take care of me. You're a wonderful, thoughtful person. You're a great partner. Thank you. I'm making him sick, guys. <laughs> for the compliments. <laughs> yeah, it's like Munchausen's. All the extra work. Love it. Love that, too. <laughs> you just love it because I say it on the podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, nothing new with me, other than I have a new part-time job as Brian's caregiver. <laughs> We've got a couple five-star reviews. Yes. Thank you so much to Zarak Zigil. Thank you. 
And from Facebook, thank you so much to Lynette Thomas Andrews. Thank you. Should we dive in? Let's do it. All right. This week, we started with Buffy. Stacy, please tell us all about Conversations with Dead People. So this episode is about Buffy, Dawn, and Willow having conversations with dead people. Let's move on to Gilmore Girls. <laughs> and they all have some revelations at the end, I guess? Yeah. So we open at the Bronze, November 12th, 2002, at 8.01 p.m., which is present day at the time. Probably present time as well. Mm -hmm. We also see the title of the episode, which has maybe only happened once before and once more with feeling. Yeah, I can't think of another time. Why do you think they do this? I don't know, because they thought it was an RC episode, maybe. I really don't know. It's not like at the end we see what time it is or anything. Like, it, it didn't really matter what time it was. Yeah. I just think they thought this was like a really good episode and they were trying to be fancy. That's how it felt to me. Yeah, I guess so. A band is performing at the Bronze. Kind of a cool, haunting song with a female singer. Yeah. The song is Blue by Angie mm -hmm. Hart. It's on the soundtrack. I feel like I've heard it before. There's a dude in the band playing one of the weirder instruments I've ever seen. I did a little research. It's called a harmonium, a hand-pumped harmonium. It's kind of like an accordion, but a little bit more like a piano than an accordion mm -hmm. is. Like, you don't wear it on your body. It's like a little piano that you play with one hand, and you use your other hand to sort of hold it and open and shut the back of it. Anyway, it's a cool song. And while she sings, we set up all of our scenarios. Buffy's walking through a graveyard. Spike's drinking alone at the bronze. Willow's falling asleep studying in the campus library. Dawn comes home to an empty house and finds a note saying that Buffy and Willow are going to be out late. Here's money for the store. No pizza. And the intro ends with Buffy kneeling down by a grave, waiting for a vampire to arise. Hand pops out and she says, here we go. Also in this episode, we have the reappearance of Jonathan and Andrew. They're back from Mexico, where they apparently had a little trouble with the language, even though they both speak perfect Klingon. Yeah. Andrew, like, taught himself Klingon very quickly. And I think the joke was, like, you were able to pick up a language. Like, mm -hmm. you should have been able to pick up Spanish. He speaks, like, bad Spanish all throughout the episode, too. They've got some kind of plan. And they also mentioned that they've both been having nightmares. And then Jonathan quotes something from their dreams in Klingon, which Andrew translates to, it eats you starting with your bottom. Yeah, it's really funny. Or more likely, from beneath you it devours. Yeah, I, that's what I'm going to guess. Jonathan says they're coming back to Sunnydale to make it right. And Andrew says that they're outlaws with hearts of gold. Is your heart gold, Andrew? <laughs> yeah. If anyone's got a gold heart, it's Jonathan, Jonathan. not you. <laughs> yeah. Andrew was still mostly on Team Bad when we saw him last. And yeah. Spoilers. He's not really on the side of good in this episode. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> and then they pass the Welcome to Sunnydale sign. Why is Sunnydale written in such a spooky font? It's like <laughs> blood red. You know, it's really, it's so, you're totally right. But you know, what's also funny is the population is like a few thousand less than it was the last time we saw it. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that's pretty funny. Because <laughs> they're not trying to hide what they are. Yeah, they're just like, we keep an accurate count and it's not good. The sign's written in blood. So this episode switches between all of these stories, but I think it might be easiest just to talk about them one at a time for the most yeah. part. Yeah. To a point. I'll start with Buffy's. So the vampire rises. They fight for a while. She's having a slightly hard time. But eventually, he recognizes her from high school. It's Holden Webster, you know, from European history. And that time he dropped a lighting board on her foot. She totally doesn't remember this guy, but kind of pretends that she does. She's like, so cool. 
uh, what have you been up to? He says, well, apparently dying. And they laugh and laugh. <laughs> he also mentions that before he died, he got big into Taekwondo. That explains why he's kind of a good fighter. Yeah. He was also majoring in psych at Dartmouth. And then Buffy teaches him a little bit about vampire stuff, like how you can make your face switch back and forth. <laughs> he's kind of digging being a vampire. Like, he says he feels great and connected to an all-powerful consuming evil that's going to suck the world into a fiery oblivion. It's really funny how they play this. Mm -hmm. That he is being, like, very friendly and cordial to Buffy and very positive and upbeat. But then, like, the things he's upbeat about, though, are, like, the horrible evil he's connected to. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm going to kill everybody. It's been great. He's like, so how are you doing? What's new with you? Yeah. He's like interested in Buffy's life. All the while wants to do horrible things. She explains that she's the Slayer, what that entails, and how she doesn't get paid, and that she did this back in high school, too. He's like, oh, yeah, you were kind of mysterious. There was like a lot of rumors about you, like that you were dating a way older guy, and Scott Hope said you were gay. Apparently, Scott Hope said that about every girl he dated, and then he came out as gay. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, also, the older guy is funny because, like, no one could have known how old the guy she was dating was. Like, Angel is, like, hundreds of years older than Buffy. Yeah, but, I mean, he probably was in his 20s when he died. Right. So maybe they did think he was, like, in his 20s? Oh, I'm sure. It's just funny to think that they say way older, and it's like, actually, he's way, yeah. way, way older than that. But Holden has also picked up some vibes that Buffy's maybe not doing great emotionally and starts to do some psychology on her. Because remember, he's a psych student. She like lays down on top of this coffin that's got like an open book statue yeah. on one end that she's using as a little pillow. And she starts telling Holden all about her relationship problems, how none of her relationships last. And he suggests maybe it's because she's afraid to commit. She's like, no, you're maybe just confusing me because you're evil now. He's like, I just think you're in pain, which I do kind of enjoy because I'm evil. <laughs> but maybe go easier on yourself. He also points out that she's 21, so it's not like she needs to be finding the right one right now anyway. He also says that he had this really great girlfriend at college, but it's not like he's going to go vampify her so they can be together forever. And then Buffy teaches him the word sire, and he teaches her how to properly say the word nemesis. Yeah, that's really funny because she and Warren had like talked about this word and said it wrong. Then she's like, is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's also, the scene is so interesting because she, she's like so vulnerable with him. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because I think we kind of discuss this later. I think she's like, I'm going to kill you. Like, she has no worry at all that she's going to lose this fight. Right. Which I think is why she feels confident that she can be vulnerable with him. Yeah. And like, even though she doesn't remember him, she kind of feels like she knows him. They have yeah. like a bit of a shared past. And then he kind of puts together that this chit chat can't last forever. And they're going to have to fight to the death at some point. And she kind of feels bad, too, that she's going to have to kill him. Like you just said. I think she kind of likes having someone to talk to that isn't yeah. one of her friends. Yeah. I mean, that's why she confided in Spike after she came back from the dead. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's what this is, right? It's sort of like the same familiar, like, I can tell you anything, it doesn't matter. But She's like obsessed with confiding in vampires. Yeah. But he doesn't think she stands a chance against his vampire strength taekwondo combo. She's like, yes, sorry, buddy, you're not leaving this graveyard. And then he kind of diagnoses her with a superiority complex and asks whose fault her parents' divorce was. So they retract their proverbial clause and sit back down for another chat. Buffy says, probably her dad, because she's pretty sure he was cheating on her mom. And he's like, hmm, you think maybe you got some daddy issues? 
You think maybe some of those guys you're having trouble committing to aren't worth it, in your opinion? That you're better than them? Because you just think they're all guys that are going to cheat on you like your dad? She's like, shut up. I don't remember you being this annoying. He's like, you don't remember me at all. Yeah. (laughs) Took me like 30 minutes to remind you who I was. But Buffy insists she doesn't feel superior. And she seems to want to open up to him more, but is a little hesitant. He's like, Buffy, I'm here to kill you, not judge you. (laughs) (laughs) And then she starts to open up about her weird relationship with Spike. And he takes this moment of vulnerability to smack her in the face with a little St. Mary statue. And then he goes to bite her. Cut to commercial. They do that a lot in the middle of vampire bites, and it's always fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I'm never worried about it. Especially when it's the titular character in the middle of a season. Yeah, we're not going to come back from this, like, Sears commercial to Buffy being dead. (laughs) (laughs) She, of course, kicks him away before he can bite her. So they fight again. She kicks him through a window into, like, a mausoleum. She eventually gets him to the ground. She's got a stake on him. He's like, are you killing me because I'm evil or because you opened up? She's like, ugh, what is with you vampires? Sex and death and love and pain, it's all the same thing. And then he puts together that she's been dating vampires. It's kind of a funny moment when he realizes it. He's like, oh my God. And she's like, oh, your God, what? He's like, well, not my God, because I defy him and all this works. Does God exist? Is there a word on that? Buffy's like, nothing solid. I always have that question because demons exist. And crosses work. Maybe so does Satan. So like, it seems like there are gods. Yeah. But like, is there our God? I mean- not our God. <laughs> like, what is the higher power? Right. Cut ahead a bit. They're sitting down. She's told him all about Spike and how he loved her, but she didn't want to be loved. And she confesses that she feels she's not worthy of anyone's love, boyfriends or her friends, because she kind of does feel superior to them. So as Holden pointed out earlier, she does have a superiority complex. And he says she's also got an inferiority complex about it, which ultimately makes her feel pretty alone. And then he says that everyone's alone until they die. Is he saying that because he feels like he's part of something now that he's dead? I think so, because he said earlier that he felt connected. Yeah. Buffy has this look, though, like, I've been dead and I also felt away. Well, I think she did feel connected when she was dead in heaven. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to them later. Dawn has chosen to ignore Buffy's no pizza request. She orders a pizza. She's singing a little song about how delicious anchovies are. I'm starting to see why she doesn't have any friends. (laughs) She takes her pizza upstairs to eat while she tries on some of Buffy's clothes. That's so dumb. Like, she immediately gets pizza on a white shirt. And she's just like, eh, she'll think it's blood. That was pretty funny, but. Yeah. She, like, grabs a white shirt in the same hand she grabs a slice in. Then she starts playing around with weapons from the weapons chest. She gets an arrow stuck in the wall, rips out a bunch of drywall, covers it up with a plant. Then she goes to the kitchen to rock out to the radio that seems to be permanently stuck on the instrumental Latin music station. Yeah, because Puffy played music (laughs) on that same radio in that Queller Demon episode. Yeah, it's not the same song as that, but it's definitely the same band. The same royalty-free band. It's like the next track in that library. (laughs) Then Dawn microwaves a giant marshmallow, and as it expands, we hear a big bang. At first you think it's the marshmallow exploding or something. But Dawn looks around as if it's something else. Then she's on the phone with her good friend Kit, the girl we met in the first episode of the season, but haven't seen or heard about since. And we will. Apparently she remembers her enough to call her sometimes. They're trying to, like, watch a movie together over the phone, but seem to be on different channels, when Dawn hears more of this loud banging. 
So she mutes the TV and gets up to investigate. When the front door flies open, there's this huge gust of wind. The TV unmutes itself. She can't mute it or change the channel, even after unplugging it. Music starts playing on all the radios. Dawn just like smashes every electronic and heads to the kitchen to smash the Latin-only radio when the microwave starts running on its own. It explodes, sending glass everywhere. Oh no, Dawn's in her bare feetsies. Yeah, she's going full diehard. And then from the radio, we hear Joyce's voice calling for Dawn. So she bandages up her feet in the living room. She tries to call Buffy. We actually, at some point during Buffy's story, see her phone ringing. She dropped it in the graveyard out of earshot. Right. But while Dawn's doing all this, there's a brief shot where Joyce's dead body is back on the couch where Buffy found it. Yeah, we see it and she doesn't. It's pretty creepy. She seems to maybe sense it or maybe see it out of her periphery because she sort of like turns around to check to see if she saw it for sure. Mm -hmm. And then when she looks, Joyce isn't there. The lights flash. Suddenly the weapons chest is all tipped over. All the chairs are stacked on the table. Mother's milk is red today, is written on the wall in blood with a cute little handprint. That's not good. The lights flash again. Everything's back to normal, but the thumping is back. Dot's freaking out. She wants to know what's going on, who's doing this and why. So she tries to communicate with the banging. She tells it to bang once for yes and twice for no. She asks if it's her mom. One bang. She asks if she's okay. Two bangs. That means no. <laughs> she asks if she's alone. Two bangs. That's how many bangs Buffy had in the men's. <laughs> well, that's not good. No. The whole house starts shaking violently. Things are falling off the walls. It's all dark now. She hears something growling, but she can't see it. She asks if it's hurting her mother, keeping her from coming back to her. And then there's a flash of light, and we see Joyce on the couch again. Dawn starts walking towards her. There's a couple more quick flashes of light, and we and Dawn see some kind of, like, black creature hurting Joyce? Yeah, some sort of, like, winged, like, little winged. It's so quick. It doesn't look little, though. It looks like a man in a costume. No, I mean, the wings are little. Mm, I didn't see wings. It was, I, it's so quick. I want to, like, freeze frame it. Yeah, I might be wrong about the wings, but I thought it had little wings. I believe you. Dawn tells it to get off of her and let Joyce talk to her, but it's like, no, I'm going to try slicing your face with this axe, and it yells at her to get out. She opens the door, but it's still all windy outside. And she's like, no, I'm going to stay and fight for my mom. So she pulls out some of Willow's spell stuff, lights some candles, tries to cast out the demon using magic. She's throwing glitter at it. It's not going great. <laughs> it's like mean, some kind of spell. You does. did accurately describe the scene. She's throwing glitter at it. I love that this demon's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Just throwing some glitter. Arts you don't know magic. bitch. <laughs> Ah, some buttons and beads. Fuck, I gotta go. He's invisible, but he's like scratching her face. He's making the wind whir, breaking all the windows. Her mouth is just like full of blood, but she keeps trying. Eventually, she throws a whole bowl at him, and that and seems to work. And he hates bowls, so <laughs> just, he's out, man. Did you make this in pottery glass? Oh, this is, this is cheap. This looks like shit. I'm out of here. That is what did it, though. <laughs> I don't know. Did not let that bowl. This is not baked properly. I'm out. <laughs> he shrieks and howls. He splatters blood all over the walls, but he leaves and Dawn collapses to the ground. But then a golden light appears. And in that light is Joyce in her wedding dress. I don't know if it's her wedding dress. <laughs> like, okay, I was like, wow, I don't remember that. But. I, we don't know what it looks like. It could be. It's an all white dress. 
And Dawn's like, why are you wearing a wedding dress? I met someone in heaven. <laughs> yeah, I just come in here to tell you, why do you, 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 you scare my fiance away? <laughs> he was hurting me and I liked it. He is awesome, just hates crafts. You didn't ask if I liked the pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mom, did you like it? One thump. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to move on to the next thing. So if no, you want to talk no, about this. I got to talk about it. This whole section of the episode with Dawn is very Evil Dead. It just really feels like it's an Evil Dead movie. Like the creepy sounds and like blood and messages appearing. Like very, it just was, it gave that vibe and I loved it. I just love the atmosphere of all of it. It was also really cool for Dawn because like it wants her to leave. At least we're led to believe it wants her to leave. And then she's like, no, I'm going to stay because leaving is what it wants. And it just really worked for me. It just worked on so many levels. It worked on the creepiness level, which I feel like once a season, Buffy gets a creepy episode that really like functions. And this one does. It, it really is creepy. And it's a really just cool character moments for Dawn. And it was really nice to see Joyce back. Mm-hmm. However, there is some controversy about what appeared to her. Was that Joyce? Was it something else? And we'll talk about that in the episode. But I just really loved all this Dawn stuff, which is weird because normally anytime Dawn's alone in a scene, I'm like, can we just do something else, please? Can someone else be here? She did it well. I mean, there's she a did. lot of she like, really effects did. going on. They really destroy that house. They do. Well, more on this later. As I said, Willow is studying in the library when Cassie pops out from behind the stacks. Remember Cassie? The girl that said she was going to die a few episodes ago and Buffy tried to save her and couldn't? But she's dead. I know. Willow never met her, but she recognizes her from pictures and is like, hey, you're dead though. She's like, I know. It's weird, right? Willow's like, yeah, it it really is. Please explain. (laughs) And Cassie says that she asked her to come talk to Willow. She meaning Tara. And Willow believes her because Cassie seems to know stuff about Tara, like the time on the bridge where Tara sang to her. And she says that she still sings to her where she is now. Willow wouldn't have any reason to distrust her because this was a good woman who died. Mm-hmm. And she comes in nice enough. And Willow also, at this point, doesn't realize that whatever evil thing is around is like shape-shifting. Right. Cassie says that Tara's sorry she couldn't come, but because Willow killed people, the powers that be or whatever are sort of punishing her. So Tara can't manifest herself. But Tara can hear Willow and is going to be talking through her to Cassie. Willow tells Tara she misses her. Cassie tells Willow that Tara's crying and misses her too and wishes she could touch her. Again, Allison's so good at this, like, real emotion. Yeah. I'm getting, like, a runny nose and watery eyes during this scene. She plays it so well. Tara slash Cassie tells Willow that it's going to get better because she's strong, like an Amazon. Is that something they said before? Yeah, the body. Okay. Tara says that. It seemed familiar, and they were acting like I should know what it was, but I, I didn't remember where exactly they said it. So Willow fills Tara in on everything that's been going on with her since she died, specifically all the bad things that Willow's done. Cassie's like, well, that's not your fault. That was the power. The power's bigger than you are. Also, things are more clear where Tara and I are, and we can see your path, and that you have to stop. You can't use magic ever again. And Willow's kind of like, but, 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 but Giles said... He said, I'm going to use my magic for good. And Cassie's like, no, if you use any more magic, you're going to kill everybody. Oof. More on this later. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, we're also following Jonathan and Andrew. Yep. They 
arrived in Sunnydale, they rappel their way into the high school library, much like Buffy rappelled into the mayor's office. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Andrew sort of belly flops into the library. His, <laughs> yeah. his rappeller is broken. Where did they get the money for gear? Did they still well, they out? robbed a bank at one point. Did they take that with them? Like, where was that money? I mean, maybe it's in bank accounts that they own. I mean, they're like geniuses, quote unquote, right? They could have made like false bank accounts. They could have been. Are they? Like Frank, what, abignailing their money? Wasn't Warren the genius? But yeah, maybe he had it all set up. Yeah. Well, they're there because they have information about the seal of Danselthar. Right, right. Jonathan wants to go to Buffy for help, but Andrew's like, no, she won't believe us. We need proof. So their plan is to find the seal, then tell Buffy, help her destroy it, and be big, big heroes for saving Sunnydale. And then they'll join Buffy's gang and possibly hang out at her house. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute because Andrew says that before we find out what's really happening with Andrew. So like, does he actually want that or was he acting? I think he does want that, but it would never happen. Right. Because later he says to like Jonathan, he's like, do you think they'd let us? Do you really Mm -hmm. think they would? I think he like a little bit would be like, yeah, that would, I would like that. They decide to split up. They test their walkie-talkies loudly for like a while. And as soon as Jonathan's gone, Warren shows up. Warren, you're dead. What are you doing? Warren's dead. I know. He's back. Andrew doesn't seem shocked to see Warren. Seems like he's maybe been secretly chatting with him for a while now. And doesn't actually think he's dead. Because Warren's like convinced him all of this was part of the master plan. Yeah, I think he does think he's dead, but Warren's all like, yeah, but like, I have a plan for coming back. It's all makes sense. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. He calms him down with a bunch of Star Wars quotes and reveal (laughs) that their master plan somehow involves Jonathan, probably unbeknownst to Jonathan, as always. Jonathan and Andrew eventually meet back up again in the basement. They seem to think they're lost, again, indicating that the basement kind of moves around like the Harry Potter stairways. Yeah. Which is creepy, which is like mm-hmm. just a creepy like idea, like backrooms stuff. Backrooms is an online creepypasta type thing. But then Andrew sees Warren standing in front of a door that says restricted and assumes that must be the way. Jonathan doesn't see Warren standing there, but once they're in the room, Jonathan's like, yep, this seems like the place. So they start digging. Jonathan's talking about how much he misses high school and all the people who went to school with them, whether they liked him or talked to them or not. And says he wants to know, like, what's going on in their lives now. And then Zuckerberg pops out of the hole, all like, <laughs> well, 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 have I got a product for you. You'll know what they're doing all the time, especially if they have babies. Uh, for a while, anyway. And then just old people will be on it. And they won't know that they're old people until someone says it. Then they'll think about it and be like, oh, Facebook is just for old people. And then I will destroy the world. Awesome, get rid of TikTok. <laughs> just kidding. But over Jonathan's shoulder, Warren again appears to Andrew. And Andrew's like, well, you know what, Jonathan? None of those people care about you. And sweetie by Jonathan is like, well, I still care about them. And that's why I'm here. Yeah, it's nice. And then we see that they are uncovering some sort of giant evil looking symbol with like a bull or a devil or something on it. It's got horns. It looks upset. More on them later. We also follow Spike a bit in this episode, although he has no lines. (laughs) Yeah. He's drinking at the bronze when a random lady comes and sits next to him all flirtily. He ends up walking her home. Seems like they're really hitting things off. The camera is far enough away that we don't hear them, but it seems like she's trying to get him to come inside. This is where things sort of start to merge. 
Buffy and her new friend are wrapping up their therapy session and decide it's time for one of them to kill the other now. She thanks him for listening and starts to say, you know, all that stuff I told you about Spike. And he's like, hold up, Spike? Yeah, yeah wait, 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 what's that word you taught me? Spike, that's the guy that uh, sired me. Uh, Spike's, Spike's siren people? What Recently? Now? Huh? And then we see Spike bite the woman he went home with. What? Whoa. To the death. To the death. <laughs> what's going on? Spike's a good boy now. Yeah. Also, biting this woman doesn't seem to hurt him. Right. What's up with that? Yeah. Then Joyce, remember, she's appearing to Dawn. Yeah. She warns Dawn that things are coming. She says she loves both Dawn and Buffy, but warns her that Buffy isn't going to be there for her when things get bad. That Buffy won't choose Dawn. She'll be against her. And then Joyce fades away. The summy res is just trashed, by the way. Mm-hmm. Willow's freaking out. She's afraid she's going to slip up, use magic, murder all her friends. But Cassie's like, well, you could kill yourself. That way you wouldn't have to worry about killing everyone else and you could be with Tara. Doesn't that sound awesome? Okay, he, she doesn't speak like a cartoon villain. No. <laughs> Just like but she does start to sound hand, a little more evil. Tented. <laughs> well, I was, well, well. I was tenting my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were. I could feel it. Wiggling them a little. We cannot see each other. Our setup does not allow it, but I could feel that she was doing it. (laughs) (laughs) She does start to sound a little evil here, like the music switches. Like, this is our clue to know this girl's not who she said. And Willow seems super suspicious. She knows Tara would never suggest that she kill herself. Cassie's like, shoot, I took it too far with the suicide thing, huh? And then she gets kind of mean about Willow grieving Tara. Willow's like, stop it. Who are you? And she tells her that she hasn't even experienced the tip of the iceberg when it comes to pain. Last year is going to seem like cake after what she's about to put Willow and her friends through. She tells her she's done with the whole balancing the scales, good versus evil thing. She's going for a big finish. And Willow's like, oh, it eats you starting with your bottom. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she says, yeah. And Cassie says, oh, not it, me. And then she gets this, like, big, creepy smile that just, like, grows across her face. And then her head and her body kind of, like, flip inside out. She turns into, like, a little demon ball and disappears. It's creepy. It is creepy. And you know what? This season is going to do a lot with CGI that they don't pull off. But I feel like this looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. Yeah. I think this this looks cool. So that's that. Um... Jonathan and Andrew are packing up, and then Andrew just, like, stabs Jonathan as Evil Warren looks on. Jonathan bleeds out as his blood fills the symbol they just uncovered. That can't be good. I guess that was his part in the plan. So he's dead? Well, this is happening. This is all, like, you know, quickly going from one scene to the next, and that music uh, is Uh playing over it by the band. The song from the beginning, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it all, like, thematically... Looks cool. Sounds cool. I just think it. They they saw this ending and they're like, we need to put the title of this episode in the first five minutes. For some reason, they need to know the title. I mean, I guess it does sort of set up what the episode's going to be about. Yeah. And then we see Buffy finally stake her new friend, and uh, she's got a lot to think about, Spike wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I think I figured out what the big bad is. You think you figured out the big bad from this episode? Yeah. Okay, well, well, hold on, hold on. Stacey, I'm not going to tell her if she's right. So if you're watching and you're like, oh, don't spoil me, I will not tell you whether or not she's right or not. What do you think? 
I shouldn't say just from this episode. Um, mm-hmm. You've you've been very vague with clues, but just thinking about things you've said, I think it makes sense. But you've also said stuff like, I have enough information to figure it out after just the first episode. So I've just been thinking about all of that a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first. The first. That was from... The episode the, Immense. Um, oh, from season three. The entity that said it was like the first evil that like tortured Angel about his past. Doing a great job pretending you don't know. And trying to turn Angel against Buffy. Yes. Um, it used people that Angel had killed to sort of torture him and will him into doing its bidding, hmm. which is very similar to what's happening to Spike, it seems. Oh, yeah, I guess so. In the first episode of this season, we saw Warren talking to Spike and then morphed into other people, which happened to Angel and Amends. It was mostly Jenny Calendar, but she would like morph into other people. Yeah. There's also a scene in Amends where Buffy talks to Jenny Calendar and then she like morphs into a demon and leaves. That's kind of happens in this episode. We haven't seen any European women die in a while, but early in the season we saw like men in cloaks chasing women through the streets. Yeah. In Amends there were men in cloaks. Wow, you've done some homework. Yeah, I I did. <laughs> sure. I mean, a lot of these people have cloaks though. I mean That is true. There are a lot of people in cloaks. Like, if honestly, if I were to start a business in Sunnydale, it might be a cloak store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just be like, yeah, get your cloaks. But if I remember right, the cultists needed to, like, actively do something to bring forth the first mm. in their cloaks. But they've also set up the first is, like, the oldest evil. Yeah. And in the first episode of the season, the master said they're going all the way back to the beginning. The master, whatever, took whatever. form. Yes. A question would be, why didn't the first do anything till now? Like, why are they now like, we got to fucking end the world, man. Let's go. So this, whatever this creature is, seems to have the same power set, at least as far as taking over the form of dead people. Yes. But also saying we're super old and we're awful and bad. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know why it didn't hurt Spike to kill all these people, or at least the random bar woman. And I, this is another theory I have, these women that are being chased in those other episodes are maybe like potential slayers. If Buffy dies, they're trying to cover all their bases and not have a bunch of extra slayers. I do think that Dawn was maybe dealing with something different though. So yeah, let's talk about that. So first off, your assessment of what the villain is, uh, is interesting, but it does raise some questions like why would the first suddenly be able to attack now and not previously? Like, did anything happen? The cloaks. <laughs> they finally got enough cloaks. It does seem arbitrary unless there was some plot thing that happened, but we, they haven't said anything. Uh, but okay. I can't speak to whether or not that's the actual villain this season or not. But let's talk about Joyce. So we know with Willow that the big bad this season showed up to her. We mm-hmm. can assume that's also what's showing up as Warren. I think that's pretty obvious that it's the same thing. Yeah. And Buffy's dead person is just an old vampire friend. Right. But then we have two entities appear for Dawn. We have Joyce and then whatever is like hurting Joyce. Joyce also appears like a holy ghost, like in like bright light, which, right, which unlike Cassie the other does not do. Right. Now, here's what I will say. It is unclear plot wise whether or not Joyce is actually appearing to Dawn or whether or not it is the season's shape shifting big bad. However, the writers in the commentary of this episode do say what it is. But the show, if I remember correctly, never really makes it clear. Oh, interesting. I think that just watching it, it's sort of up to you whether or not you think it's Joyce or not. 
Because to me, it, it yeah, it did feel like something different. Like it because does. she appears glowing, I would have to see how Joyce's prophecy does or doesn't come true. Like if it doesn't come true, then I would be led to believe it was the thing that appeared to Willow because it's lying. So, but there is also a lot of issues here. Okay, so it if it is, it it almost doesn't make sense that it's not Joyce because of plot device we're going to find out later okay so the villain of this season has a limitation okay and some of the stuff that happens with dawn the villain should not be able to do so it seems to me that it doesn't make sense for joyce to be the villain this season however it is possible that it isn't just the season's villain that's there with dawn it's this season's villain and some other demon doing the villain's dirty work by, like, making all these sounds and, like, throwing stuff around. How I interpreted it was, yeah, this is just some other demon that somehow Joyce found a way back from the other side because she really needed to tell this message to Dawn. But because there was, like, consequences to her wanting to do that, this, like, entity latched onto her and is trying to stop her from doing that. And it was unrelated to everything else. Just because of how... Joyce appears, it seems to actually be her because she's like glowing and Cassie wasn't glowing. Mm -hmm. There's reasons to think both. I can't go into all of those. Maybe after episode nine, I will. Once some things happen in episode nine, we can talk about it. We'll revisit it then. Our super is doing the trash, which I'm sure you can hear. Super. So Brian, do you think this was a good episode? Yeah, I thought it was a great episode. It was like really emotional and we had some great revelations about Buffy, and but also about like this creature, whatever the big bad is. For me, I suspected what the big bad was up until this episode. And this episode to me was like, this is clear signposts of what the big bad is. <laughs> and they will eventually confirm it, obviously. But yeah, I just love this episode. I loved how creepy it was with Dawn's scenes. And also how like emotionally beautiful, but then scary it was with Willow. Clearly, this thing wants to just get Willow off the playing board, right? It's like, you're a very mm -hmm. powerful piece. I want you off the game board because you're opposed to me and you could maybe make a difference. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just thought it was great. And it, it was not super funny, but it did have some funny lines like the pizza on the dress. That's also funny because it's a callback to another episode where Anya was trying to scrub. Jesus, fuck, dude. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's getting old. He just rolls the trash down the stairs. What about Anya? This is actually a callback to a previous episode where Anya is trying to get blood out of an outfit and was like, oh, she think it's pizza sauce. <laughs> it was funny. Like, there's a lot of funny stuff with Andrew and Jonathan. And right. Buffy's story was pretty funny throughout. It was. Willow's was not. Dawn's wasn't really, after a point. But there was also something, like, really beautiful about Buffy being so vulnerable. And I feel like Sarah Michelle Gellar played it so well, of this, like, vulnerable woman who's also, like, like, feels almost guilty that she's going to have to kill this guy. She, like, knows it's inevitable, but also knows that because it's inevitable, I can share all this stuff with him. Yeah, there's a really nice moment at the end where he's, like, you know, talking to a stranger. And she's like, you're not a stranger. Kind of being like, we're friends now. Right. Or maybe she does remember him. I don't know. But I don't know. It was, like, sweet. And then she kills him. It's also interesting, like, she used Spike. And, like, I wonder if her relationship with Spike, like, allowed her to open up to him. To this guy? Yeah. Into, like, a way she wouldn't have opened up to a vampire. I mean, other than Angel, who's got a soul. I mean, really, she only opens up to vampires. Yeah. More she, ways than one. It, it, 
It's especially true because I feel like she never communicated with Riley. She's no. just like, I don't feel good, Riley, and I'm not going to explain why. And Riley's like, Buffy, I'm too dumb to figure it out myself. If you don't tell me, I'm going to have some girls bite my arms. Anyway, it was a good episode is the answer to the question you asked earlier. <laughs> it was good. I liked it. It was cool the way it cut between two. Yeah. There were some kind of cool cuts. I feel like this is just a stellar episode. Like, just really fantastic. Like, I would watch it again. I, I did. Mean, I watched it twice. It's just really good. I watched all of them twice, but... What's going to be fun is that the next episode of Buffy, Giles is back. Spoilers. He's, uh, he's back. Okay. Yeah. He's a horse now. <laughs> but. Show gets weird. Season seven. No, it's just that well, Giles is back. That's all I can say. Giles will be in the next episode. What? Stop, stop, stop these clues that are nonsense. There's no, there's no clues. He's, he'll, he'll be back for the next one. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed is another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 7, Episode 7, Someone to Witch Over Me, Phoebe convinces Leo to go on a vision quest where Chris guides him through the important moments in his life. He is then visited by the Avatars who show him their plan. Okay, so obviously... Is this baby Chris? Because maybe baby Chris shouldn't be doing that. I'm going to guess, since it's a vision quest, we're going to go ahead and say it's adult Chris. Okay. I like to think it's baby Chris. I bet it starts as baby Chris, and he's like, ha, come on, papa. <laughs> and then he like grows up and morphs into adult Chris. That's how oh, it's, okay. it starts. Oh, I assumed adult Chris was there for some of this, but no, it's just, okay. No, 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 it, do- it becomes adult Chris, like immediately. Okay. Does the baby actually become Chris? Yes. In the quest, he quickly morphs into adult Chris. Okay. But sure. it, it starts by him following his toddler mm-hmm. in down like a golden path yeah. to, the, to the quest. So, you know, we see Leo's whole life, which we haven't really got a chance to see before. We've only known him as Dog Leo. Guys, I have a question for you. Do you ever find it difficult to convince your partner to go on a vision quest? I feel like Stacey never wants to do it. Well, what's funny is Phoebe and Leo are not partners, so it's it's really hard to convince your <laughs> sister's partner to do. No, a that's quest. easy. That is easy. <laughs> I got your sister's husband to go on so many vision quests. Dude's got like merit badges from all the quests he's been. <laughs> this would be like me convincing my sister's husband to go on a vision quest. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Phoebe does. I don't know why she's so concerned about his former moments in his life. Phoebe just wants him out of the house. Everyone else is out of the house except him, and she really wants a day alone in the house. Yeah, so it keeps cutting between her, like, just really lounging out at the house and him having a terrifying journey through his traumatic memories of when he was a human. Yes, I mean, he was a human as a baby, and he had a really horrible home life. His parents both worked from home, and uh, they were just real helicopter parents. And then in his teenage years, you know, he really got bullied because of his arms. They're long and hairy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very dog-like. Very dog-like in a lot of ways, yeah. And then he discovered he was, a, you know, whatever he is, a warlock. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's definitely magic adjacent. I don't know. Yeah, it's been a long time since we uh, read the synopsis for the first season or whenever he shows up. He can do vision quests, apparently. So Anyone he, can. You got to lick a frog, you're good to go. I think he's got some kind of, like, time travel ability or something. Leo? Yeah. 
I mean, we know Chris literally does. Yes, but I think Leo also has some kind of like portal powers or something. Sure, he can fetch anything from the future. <laughs> uh, oh. I gotta go get that. His back, remember? It's his back. I hope they heard you groaning. They definitely did. It was weird. <laughs> it was so weird. Oh, man. This is so weird. <laughs> uh, guys, we'll talk about this afterwards. Oh, it's so weird. Oh, fuck. Did they react to your We'll get groaning? through it. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> Back to Charmed. So he goes through a vision quest, and at first he's sad that he's not a human anymore, but then he goes through his relationship with Piper, and it's like, oh, actually, no, I'm happy as a dog that bangs this woman, and so he's great <laughs> at the end. And Chris is there. <laughs> yes. All I remember is that at some point he, he opted to be a dog. Yeah. Like he could be a human, but he, he chooses to be in dog form. And as soon as he did that, he met Piper. You know, things were great. And now he has his son, baby Chris, who he knows exactly the type of adult he becomes. And But at the end, you know, the avatars appear. Yeah. And the avatars are... The avatars are these creatures from another plane that can only exist in our plane in bodies that aren't theirs. The avatars they inhabit. Mm-hmm. And it's always different ones. So you, you never know who's an avatar. I mean, there's ways to tell, but we haven't figured them out yet. They're generated by like the way AI generates like faces. And like some of them look normal, but some of them really aren't good. Like people are showing up like avatars with like a thousand fingers. And it's like, okay, I this avatar maybe isn't great, but it's what the AI made for me. Right. So their plan is to get better at doing that. Yeah. They show him that plan. They're like, yeah. here's our five-year plan. It's We're going to improve our technology. And part of that five-year plan is to speed it up to uh, like a one-more-season plan. So it's mm-hmm. probably going to... Stop looking at my finger teeth and listen to my plan. You know what it's like to have a weird appendage. <laughs> He's like, I do, I do. And they want his help. Is that his but... tail? Is that the weird appendage? No, his hairy arms when he was a teenager. That's right. You're right. Pay attention. You're right. I'm sorry. I forgot that. Very wonderful, beautiful... <laughs> detail that's <laughs> the word i was looking for and they want his help with improving their technology because his skill set is somehow helpful to them um and he's like i don't know it maybe seems bad what you're trying to do it seems bad that they're trying to come up with better bodies that they're trying to like impersonate humans yeah he's like why do you want to do that though and they're like you know don't worry about it he's like well don't right. worry about it. it's not a great answer mm-hmm. they're not telling them that part of the plan just yeah. that this is their plan so i'm a little worried about the avatars me too We'll find out what happens next time, because this has been Meanwhile Uncharted. Before we go on to Gilmore Girls, I feel like I gotta explain what just happened. It was so weird. Okay, so Stacy was expecting some Amazon packages, and they came. And I went to go buzz them in, but I've been sitting, and I threw my back out. So it was just, like, really painful for me to get up, and I was, like, kind of moaning. And I heard them come up to the door, and I was like, oh, they're gonna just leave it on the other side of the door and take a photo. Because it's taking me too long to get to the door. That's what they usually do. I'll just wait for them to be done. But then my back like spasmed. And so I'm on the other side of the door <laughs> looking through because I'm like waiting for them to take the photo. And I go, Ugh. and then I see the person react to that and just like stare at the door curiously for a while because they know I'm <laughs> on the other side. And so then I, I wait a moment hoping they'll just set it down and they don't. Because they know you're there, going to so answer the door. I open the door, and I'm like, 
it's first off, not that this matters. It just doesn't, but it just it just well, of course it is. Normally it's just some average Joe that's dropping off the package, usually like an older person. It was like this very cute, like twenty two year old woman. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey. Which makes it creepy. It's not like it, I'm embarrassed, but it makes it more like maybe she thought I was thinking of her or something. Oh, <laughs> look like, at her. She had like a blue streak in her hair, like the girls do in this Rory episode, which is weirdly connected. <laughs> she, I just opened the door. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I was waiting for you to leave. She's like, Oh, it's it's fine. <laughs> She's like, Sorry, I was moaning at you through the people. Through the people. <laughs> I promise it's not as weird as you think. It's weird in a different way. He shouted all of this after her as she ran out of the building. Well, after I shut the door, I gave a fake bone to like let her know I'm in pain. So. <laughs> Connected to her. How many of these moans have been fake? <laughs> just the one. Mm-hmm. Oh god! When I, I looked, I was like, "Really? Since when is it? It's always like an ancient dude. Like <laughs> this is this girl's first job. Anyway, it's her last day too. <laughs> My back hurts so much. Okay, let's move on. Gilmore Girls. Stacy, you you should do the review because my back hurts. Yes, Gilmore Girls. This week we watched French Twist. Brian, tell us all about it. Well, guys, uh, this episode is about Lorelai going to Paris with Chris to drop off Gigi and Rory dealing with the fact that she's no longer editor-in-chief of the Yale Daily News and the fear of what her future might bring. Oh, shit. So, as dictated by the Yale Daily News bylaws, Rory is in her senior year now, so she has to step down as editor. So, she's having a little ceremony with her other editors where she is passing the baton on to Bill. Her editors are celebrating her reign. People are, have gifts for her, and some of them have some like funny stories about her being there. One girl's like, I only joined the paper to meet boys, but then after seeing Rory be like, amazing, now I want to be a journalist, which was touching for Rory. Paris's beautiful story is the story of Rory being honest with her about how one of her stories was like super trite, and also being the only one to tell her that everyone in the paper had turned against her and we're going to depose her. And she says this like, yeah, she was the one who wasn't a cowardly backstabber. <laughs> it's like, what a really nice, heartwarming story about Rory. <laughs> Rory's like, these are all such great stories. <laughs> yeah. Paris is pretty funny in this episode. She's not in it a ton, but she has got some great lines. Like she says to Rory, like, now we're both ousted leaders. Welcome to Club Nixon. That's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Rory's like clearly bummed that it's over, though. Yeah, she doesn't want to go out to drinks with them, and you could tell something's bothering her. Is she not still writing for the paper, though? Like, Paris did. Yeah, and so did Doyle. They kind of bring that up later, that maybe she could or isn't going to, but like... Yeah. So this episode has three major storylines, and I think it's best if I kind of just tell each one until we get to the end. Copycat. Yeah, I know. I'm copying you. Paris can tell something's wrong with Rory, and the two of them are walking through school, and she's asking Rory what her plans post-editorship are going to be to prepare for her life after graduation. Rory has zero plans, and this is the second time this has happened in the show. At least. Where someone points out, specifically Paris is like, hey, what's your plans after this? And Rory's like, I have not thought about it at all. It's I'm like thinking when, of like, go ahead. Well, I'm sure you were thinking about the same thing, is when she had done like no extracurriculars to get mm-hmm. into Harvard or Yale. Yeah, for, like, a person that is so structured and, like, has goals, she really... Specific academic goals. Like, you should have looked into this. And career goals. Yeah. Like, you'd think she would have this all freaking planned out since she was, like, 12. 
you know what would have been nice too is if Rory was like, "Oh, I'm gonna actually do that job that I spent a whole episode trying to get that I went to once at an actual yeah. newspaper." Like, why is that not what you're talking about? Because the writers forgot about that whole plot line. It just definitely seems like she should have considered whether she wanted to go to grad school or not before. Absolutely, point. yeah. It almost doesn't make sense, but maybe it does make sense since they've set up that she doesn't think about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess so. You could think of it that way. Yeah, you'd think someone would point that out to her. Paris is really kind of being a good friend in this scene. Like, in her own way, Paris is not capable of normal human emotions, but I feel like she's trying to support Rory the best she can. She, like, tells her the best antidepressants she should take (laughs) and stuff like that. She also was like, you should call your artist friends and, like, hang out with them because you shouldn't be alone right now, which I thought was, like, very thoughtful from Paris's point of view. Well, she calls them her girls gone wild friends. (laughs) Yes, I changed it to artist friends. And we learned the other friend's name in this episode. Lucy. Mm-hmm. It's so weird they didn't say it in the other one. It is weird. So Rory calls her friends, and they have, like, some Gilmore Girl chats over the phone. You know, just, like, really nonsense talk. <laughs> yeah, Olivia's just, you know, casually making a mobile. Yeah, and they decide to go hang out together in Rory's mother's house for the weekend because her mother's in Paris, and they want to get out of the city. I mean, that does sound cool. It does sound cool. Why not? Like, if I was in college and a friend was like, hey, you want to go hang out at my house in the country? My parents aren't there. That does yeah. sound cool. I need to point out that Rory says she didn't know if Lucy's boyfriend was real or if he's her snuffleupagus. It is snuffleupagus. Yeah. Come on, Rory. And she says it wrong. Maybe it was written wrong. It bothers me. A lot of people say it wrong. It's like people saying Glenda, the good witch, when it's Glenda. Oh, it's Glenda, guys. Come or on. people saying Uncle Joey. From Full House. There's no Uncle Joey. They never once called him Uncle Joey. There's Uncle Jesse and regular Joey. I mean, he is an uncle, though, so it's not insane. He's not. He's Danny's friend. Are you serious? I thought yes. he was Danny's brother. Uncle Jesse is the mom's brother. Wait, Joey's not even a family? The f- no, he's just what is he doing like, there? college friend. He just hangs out all the time and he's just a friend? Mm-hmm. All right, Full House is a different show than I thought. This has been my list of pet peeves. <laughs> Regarding names. The three girls go to Rory's house. They're having a great time. They're dying like fun streaks in their hair. When I say fun streaks, that sounds weird. Uh, I meant like fun colors. Like Rory does like bright pink and then Lucy does like green. Oh, also before they go, they ask if they can like hook up with like the hired hand or something like that. Or if there's like a hot hired hand. And Rory makes a joke that he's there is one, but he's missing a hand. Is that like a Kyle reference? Yeah, I guess. But does Kyle do construction? Like, I don't know. Maybe he's the hired hand. Maybe she was just totally making a joke. But, I mean, there is someone in the town missing a hand. That's correct. At Rory's, they're having a great time. They're, like, doing girl stuff, dyeing the hair, looking at old photos of Rory's boyfriends, looking at the tick marks on the wall that indicate Rory's height as she grew up. A couple things. The yearbook thing is fun. I feel like that I've done that with friends from, like, college, like, looking through high school yearbooks. Totally. I've done that with you, like... Made you look at people I went to high school with and, like, guess what they were about. Yeah. I feel like what I said sounded condescending, like, girl stuff, but I didn't mean it condescending. I just mean that's just, like, stuff I feel like girls would do, and it probably is super fun. Like, guys might do that, but less likely. Their conversation about Snap, Crackle, and Pop is insane, though. That felt very, like, what? Slow down, Gilmore Girl writers. That's a lot. Yeah. No one speaks like this or has this much knowledge of how they (laughs) look. It was kind of funny that they broke the conversation by being like, oh, we should make Rice Krispie Treats. Just so, like, ADD. Yeah, this scene is, like, what Mad TV was making fun of. The Rice <laughs> yeah. Krispie scene. Like, oh, yeah, this is this sounds fake, like a parody of the show. And regarding the tick marks, this is a mistake. Because they say that there's mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. from 1991. 
I didn't confirm this myself in an episode, but I Googled it and like a wiki says that Lorelai would have bought this house in 1995. I'm pretty sure that they mentioned that they moved when Rory was 11, which would yeah. be correct. She's born in 84. Well, maybe she they, maybe they moved the door or or they, you know, I can see Lorelai doing this like she had measurements maybe at the end and she just copied them and then did. Yeah. Them again. But they specifically say, like, you've lived in this house all that time. No, you're absolutely right. Pay attention, Gilmore Girls. Now, Gilmore Girls does not give a shit about previous episodes. They don't at all. Uh, the girls take their tinfoil off. I guess that's covering the dye. And I'm going to say this right now. I love Rory's hair, man. Rory's hair looks great. Those pink streaks are nice. Mm-hmm. Looks like she's fun. Like, fun streaks. Yeah, fun streaks. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, I think it's really cute. Uh, you should do it. <laughs> I've never dyed my hair, fun fact. I know. Well, Rory's like contemplating her hair in the mirror. Lucy and Olivia are making like jokes about how they're going to start some like fake band with a new hair and start saying stuff like Rory can write articles about us in the paper. She's got in that the paper. And then Rory gets super sad. She finally gets hit with that post editor depression that Paris had told her about. And she starts just like crying and, and the girl's like, console her and she says like i just don't know what's gonna happen in the future you know my whole life i've always known what the next step's gonna be but like i just don't know what's gonna happen and she's like freaking out about how uncertain and scary this future is and some of this is probably the actress she's probably just like is there gonna be a season eight amy left and the scripts (laughs) do not feel as good why is chris back why is lane pregnant with dumb zach's babies like what is happening i don't know that we're doing a season eight things don't look good the writing seems to be on the wall how many times can my mom dump a boyfriend? Speaking of writing on the wall, there's a sign on the bathroom wall that says R-I-S. We can't see the rest of it because it's blocked by the door. But what what does it say? Chris? I guess. I didn't <laughs> what, notice that. What ends in that that would be in the bathroom? I don't know. So Rory's crying on the bathroom floor. You know, the bathroom floor is where she works through a lot of her feelings, apparently, mm-hmm. in the show. All of us, babe. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of those fun things girls do when they get together. But the <laughs> when they get together. Yeah. But the two girls like make her feel better by being like, no, no, you know, we're unsure of our futures too. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I see all these other people getting ready for their futures, and I'm like, I'm not, and I'm terrified. She's like, Oh, you guys are terrified too. And they bond over that. Really, though, for me, I'm like, that's not a comforting thought to be like, no, Rory. I'm also worried about this. I am validating your feelings. It's not going to be good for us. We should have prepared for this. Other people seem to have their shit together. But like you, I am equally lost and have no answers. That's how I read it. (laughs) Well, I guess the lesson could be we are a sampling of everyone. Because they also say like some of their friends seem to be like switching careers already. Yeah. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was like a successful doctor was like, I had these feelings too. Everything worked out fine. But really, they're just like, yeah, it's going to be bad. And they don't even know about the recession that's going to hit in 2008. Yeah, thank God. She really would be worried. The idea, though, that Rory has no idea what she's going to do post-graduation, once again, as we've already said, doesn't make sense. Like, you technically have a job at a paper, for all we know. You could just work there until you figure out what you want to do. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for someone so prepared to never be prepared. We'll get back to Rory's story, but first let's talk about Lane and Zach. As you guys may remember, Lane, for some reason, let Zach put a baby in her. And she's having a bunch of anxiety over having twins. She's freaking out. Dumb Zach seems to think that they're not having just twins, but conjoined twins. Because, you know, they've set this up. He's an idiot. He's a moron. He's a dumbo. 
dude is just sitting there trying to make it seem okay, even though they're going to be conjoined. It's not that big a deal. But Lane's like, no, we're just having twins. It's not that they're conjoined. And he's like, oh, that's much easier. But Lane and Zach are actually more worried about telling Lane's mother about the twins. They're worried, I guess, that Mrs. Kim is going to assume they had sex before marriage since they got pregnant so soon. Zach tries to be comforting to her in this scene, which is, I guess, kind of sweet, but he's dumb and not good at it. Hmm. The two of them go over to have dinner at Mrs. Kim's to tell her the news, and they're reluctant to. You can tell they're worried about saying it. Finally, Lane just blurts out that she's pregnant, and then her and Zach just start immediately panic babbling. <laughs> so funny. They have a note from their doctor proving they didn't have sex until marriage. It doesn't prove it, but it firmly establishes <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Mrs. Kim gets up and starts walking towards Lane, and then Zach is all like, it's my fault, hit me, hit me, it's my fault, hit me. <laughs> that is legitimately very funny. Yeah. Super funny. The way he delivered it was very funny, too. Hit me! All hilarious. But Mrs. Kim is not going to hit her daughter. She thinks this is wonderful. And then when she hears it's twins, she's extra happy. This is a blessing. She's so excited. Then she says that Lane and Zach will have to move in with her soon so she can help with the baby. And then Zach just goes, uh, Cool. Later, we find out that Lane's pissed at Zach for agreeing to move in with Mrs. Kim by saying cool. At the diner, she, like, refuses to give him food because he said cool. And then Kirk just oh creeps over <laughs> and puts his creep hand on Lane's tummy and then just silently, creepily holds it there for a couple moments. And I'm like, no, dude. Yeah, no. Lane says, what are you doing? And Kirk's like, I'm trying to feel a kick. No, bro. You don't just start throwing your hands on your acquaintance's tummies. Like, you just don't. I would. My sister was just pregnant. I would touch her without asking. Yeah, sure. I would not touch your sister without asking. Exactly. And yeah, I don't think it's weird to touch. Especially, I, would, I wouldn't touch my sister's tummy without asking. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. My, my sister and I, I know her, I know she wouldn't mind. I just grabbed her big milky boobs when I was home and no one cared. She told me I should. Um, okay, I was going to say, did you? <laughs> like, maybe she... you should run some of these by her. <laughs> I'll touch my sister wherever, whenever, okay? <laughs> you just walk in and honk her. Anyway, this is how I established dominance in the no, Hulu household. No, she like, was pumping and she came out and announced the texture of her boobs to everyone's. <laughs> She's like, you want to feel? I was like, of course. <laughs> okay. Everyone Stacey's thought it was family's great. different. Uh, no, everyone else had secondhand embarrassment, and we were enjoying ourselves. Not that way. Secondhand embarrassment. Okay, so. Firsthand? Okay. So, okay. <laughs> so they got to go after you? <laughs> what I did with my second hand was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Kirk was being super creepy. Less creepy <laughs> than Stacy is with her own family. But eventually, he's, uh, it's, uh, I just, Kirk sometimes is just such a creepo. He also asked her if she's decided where she's going to drop this little yeah, load. Yeah, I was going to say that. If you, if you haven't decided you're going to drop that little load, so funny. Such a funny line. <laughs> he suggests a hospital where he was born because the mother is allowed to hold the baby as long as she wants, which maybe explains why his relationship with his mother's weird. I mean, do they, yeah. like, stop the mothers from holding the baby at some point? Maybe to run tests or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, I think specifically when it comes out is what he meant. Yeah, they need to take it to clean it at some point. Right. Luke comes over and scolds Kirk and then gets extra protective of Lane now that she's pregnant and tells her she needs to take it easy and that he and Caesar can take the food out and that, you know, she should call Liz if she has any questions about stuff because Liz is a pro at this. And then also she and Zach are going to be great parents. It's very sweet. He's probably overprotective, but it's sweet because he wants to take care of Lane. 
Yeah, I wasn't sure of the point of this other than just to be sweet, I guess. But also he says, you're going to be great parents. That's the whole point of this, because then Lane has the revelation that, oh, we're parents now and parents get to decide things. My mom doesn't get to decide things for me, like moving in. That was funny, too, because they were like, what's the worst she could do if we tell her the truth? And then Zach's like, seriously, though, what's the worst she could do? <laughs> Is those hounds of hell going to be after me? <laughs> so they go back to Mrs. Kim's, and she's being hilarious about how Zach will need his own bed because soon Lane will be giant, and who can sleep with a giant? Yeah. Zach finally grows a single ball and explains that when he said cool, he didn't mean cool like they are going to move in with her. He meant cool like I'm glad you're not upset. Mrs. Kim straightens up and then says that she respects their decision and then she walks away. And it's like, oh, it looks like you upset her, but like she acquiesced. So Lane's like, cool. The next day, though, they come home to find Mrs. Kim in their house aggressively and angrily kid-proofing everything. Then she starts saying, you know, you guys were right. It would be wrong of you to move into my place. You should have your own place and I will move in with you. Cool. Cool. <laughs> that was a great line from Ms. Kim. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she was being sassy. I think she was just. Yeah, I think she just picked language. up on the word and yeah. was like, cool, right? And they're just and then, like, okay, but what about Brian? And she's like, don't worry about Brian. He's fine. Cut to Brian happily eating food at some Korean family's house. <laughs> he loves it there. Yeah, he seems fine. We've set up that he like loves and understands Korean culture a bit. Yeah, the food looked good. I would eat it. During all of this, we have the trip to Paris. Lorelai and Chris and Gigi are all getting ready to go to Paris. Chris has lied to him about when the flight leaves so that he'll be there on time for sure. Because Lorelai takes forever to do anything. Gigi's like looking at the camera a bunch. <laughs> yeah, Gigi the actress is just like staring at the camera for all of her lines. She keeps calling Joey Uncle Joey. And they're like, no, different show. And also he's just Joey. <laughs> also, there's no Joey in the scene. Get in the car, Gigi. <laughs> yeah, her real they ha it's, luckily her real name was Gigi because she would just not have responded. <laughs> We're shitting all over this actress. She's a little kid. She, I'm sure she's great. She actually wasn't looking the whole time. There was just a couple times where you could tell she's like looking yeah. to whoever's guiding her. But it's like a lot of it's one take, and she delivers a line at the right time in the middle of it. Yeah, no, she does great. We're roasting this kid for no reason. She did a good job. She's very well behaved now. They head to Paris. Stock footed France. Yeah, they're not in Paris. Obviously, at any point in this episode. If Amy was still in charge, they would have gone to Paris for real. Yeah, absolutely. Like in Miss Maisel. Yes. We don't see their, like, first several hours in Paris. When we do catch up with them, they're at the hotel. They've dropped Gigi off with Sherry. Chris thanks Lorelai for how good she was with Gigi, but then also how good she was with Sherry. Probably, like, not throwing shade on Sherry. It seems like Gigi's going to be in good hands. Probably the writers are like, can we just get rid of this character for a while, please? Let's drop her off. No one's on Team Gigi, because no one is. Emily hates Gigi. <laughs> <laughs> Lorelai doesn't like Gigi. Chris reluctantly loves Gigi. Sherry never loved Gigi. We've got to find somewhere to put her. And they put her in, in Paris. Well, they're very excited for their trip. They're also very tired because they've just been on a plane. They've been up for like 32 hours. Chris says, I'm going to make reservations at the most romantic restaurant in Paris. We're going to go in a couple hours. It's going to be great. Lorelai's like, I'm just going to close my eyes for two seconds. Next thing you know, they are asleep. There's also a running bit that... The staff is just has very low opinions on Americans and is just super condescending to them constantly. Are people in Paris rude? That seemed to be the joke. I mean, that is like, I feel like, like the a stereotype, huge stereotype. But like, I think they're rude in the same way that like New Yorkers are rude. Like from an outside perspective, it may seem people are rude or brusque. But like, and you live in the city, you start to realize like, oh, this you just person don't have time doesn't to have time to everyone. To, 
walk them to Central Park or whatever they're asking. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they're in Paris. That would be far. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I didn't really experience people being rude to me in Paris. In Italy, they were. But I also, I saw some Americans being total assholes. And I was like, I get why people hate us. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they fall asleep and they wake up and it's the middle of the night and everything is closed. They overslept. It's four. Yeah. Four a.m. So they say it's four, but I think it's supposed to be 11 p.m. I think the script is wrong. Or what? Chris says the wrong thing. And I'll explain later why. I think it's supposed to be 11 p.m. I'll tell you why. So they say it's 4 a.m. Everything's closed. They can't get food, but they are absolutely starving. Chris is like, let's just go back to sleep. We'll wake up. We're going to have breakfast. It's going to be great. We'll be fresh, refreshed for tomorrow. They try to go back to sleep, but they can't. So they decide to just walk around Paris at night. Maybe they'll find some food. They say that there'll still be something open. There's probably a diner open, but not like a romantic place like they're hoping for. Sure. I don't know that there's many diners in Paris. Like, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe somewhere, but I mean, not where I was staying. I've never been to Paris. I feel like in New York, you could definitely get a sandwich Absolutely. somewhere in New yeah. York at any hour of the day. Without walking more than 10 minutes. Agreed. And I think it's fair to say there's probably something open in Paris. But if you also don't know the language or like the layout of the city, it might be difficult to find. You seem to have a theory that it's not four. But the timeline of this is weird for me. The timeline of this doesn't make any sense. By five or six, a bakery is for sure open. And there's other things I'll explain in a minute that don't make sense. Okay. Also, I want to point out that when they get on the plane... Right before that, Gigi's like, oh, is there going to be food? And Lorelai's like, I, we've got a million snacks. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, did you not save any of those snacks? for? There's not like a cliff bar? They might have left them with Gigi. I guess so. Well, they have no luck when they're in the streets. They find a bakery, but they can't seem to communicate with the owner before he leaves in his truck. This like made me roll my eyes at Lorelai. She's trying to communicate with him. First off, Chris is trying to speak to him in French. He's not great at French, but Lorelai just interrupts him and starts like rubbing her tummy and making sounds. I think we're supposed to think that this French guy is, like, laughing at her like he thinks what she's doing is funny, not trying to be mean. I don't know. But he's like, ha-ha, Americans are so funny, everybody loves Raymond, and gets in his car and drives away. Do you think he's mean or, like, misunderstands? Mm, I think he thinks she's being funny. I think so, too. Fun fact, Ray Romano is in Parenthood with Lauren Graham. Oh, that's fun. But also, I think Lorelai's like, um, uh, I'm hungry. I'm like, that's, yeah, you that's look like awful. an idiot. Like, if this guy should roll his eyes and leave you. He should have run him over. <laughs> but this hunger reminds Lorelai of the time Chris once gave her a slice of pizza when they were in the 10th grade. And that's just like such a sweet moment for her because Lorelai is moved by food. It was a sweet story. I guess. So they head back to the hotel to have sex. Just amazing sex. But then... Post-orgasm Chris realizes that he can fix all of this. He's found a solution. But he won't tell Lorelai what he's going to do or how he's going to make it right. He's just like, get ready. I'm confused about when he makes the call because they take a shower together. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe when she's like getting ready. Like he's never alone if they're going to take a shower together. Yeah. Anyway. The next time we see them, the two of them are dressed nicely. They've showered and they're arriving at that super fancy romantic restaurant that was closed. At 5 a.m. Yeah, and here, here's, here's what makes no sense. She says, they're not going to be open at 5 a.m. if they weren't open at 11. So let's just walk through the timeline. First off, she says, if they're not open at 11, they're not going to be open at 5 a.m. When was 11 ever mentioned? How did you know they were not open after 11? Mm, maybe it's the hours around the door or something. Secondly, they woke up at 4 a.m. They tried to sleep some more. 
They went through a walk through the Paris streets, went back to the hotel, had amazing sex. Took a shower. Took a shower, got dressed real nice. He got made their this, hair dried. He made a phone call to get all these people to come to this restaurant, and they opened within an hour? Yeah, it's, it's a lot to fit in. Like, how long did they try to sleep? That seemed like it was a while, because they were, like, counting shit on the ceiling. How long was their sex? Like, six minutes? The amazing six-minute sex? Also, when he says he thought of all this, she even calls him out. She's like, when did you do all this thinking? <laughs> like, thinking of how to bribe the people? Yeah. So, yeah, when did he have a free moment to think? So that's what makes me think that, like, maybe they were supposed to have woken up at 11, and then they tried to sleep till, like... 1 a.m. and then they went for a walk and then they had and then that would pass some time but this doesn't make sense that all had happened in an hour for a lot of reasons and I'm going to go into it more because it bothers me a lot whatever the case is the place is open really fancy nice French man opens the door for them and it appears this place is open just for them and they have like the full staff they've got like three or four guys just standing there waiting to serve them it turns out Chris explains that he worked all this magic by remembering that he is rich So he bribed all of these people to come in and open the diner, which makes no sense once again, okay? It doesn't make any sense. It's 4 a.m., and he, what, like, called the restaurant and got a hold of, like, the dude who's cleaning overnight? That also couldn't happen between 4 and 5. Yeah. Like, getting all those guys there in shower. Exactly. But but even even if the timeline made sense where it's possible, what did he call the closed restaurant? No one's going to answer that place, okay? No one's going to answer the phone. But let's say he'd have to like get the number of the owner somehow and uh, and hope he answers, and then hope all the staff answers. Yeah. Then the owner has he's got to bribe the owner, and the owner's got to be like, all right, cool. Then the owner's got to call all of the staff, convince them to wake up immediately, get dressed, and come to work. Which fine if it if the bribe's enough, maybe they would. But there just isn't time for all this. Yeah, my question is how much do you think? I mean, it would have to be like a grand a person. I mean, I don't know. I guess if you woke me up, it's like $500 to be here in an hour. Okay, maybe. Yeah, my, the number popping into my head is 5000 for the whole thing. I think it'd have to be more than that almost. But also, they don't need like six guys to do this job. I don't right. know why they got everyone. They could have right. done it with a cook and a waiter. Yeah. Unless Christopher's like, I want the full experience. I guess. Again, this would make sense if, like, they had just closed and all the staff is already there. But you get what I'm saying, that, like, when did this happen? He called them. They were like, cool, we'll be there in five and we'll be open. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's interesting that she says they weren't open at 11 in that other scene. But they definitely say it's four. They do. I looked it up. And then nothing is open. And I feel like at 11, something would be open, like a bar that you could maybe grab some bar food or something at. Yeah. So it doesn't. It, but that seems like a huge mistake. Doesn't make any sense at all. It really bothers. The timeline doesn't make sense. But even if it wasn't four a.m., just like getting these guys to come in is going to be such an ordeal, and it's going to take more than an hour for sure. Just to get the place running, to turn the stuff on, to, to grill, it's going to take time. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, guys. I know I'm being a downer here, but like this whole thing really upset me. Not just because it doesn't make sense, but because of the implications of this. I'll continue. Lorelai thinks this is just like the most romantic thing that's ever happened. But I'm like, is it? Is it actually romantic that Christopher just remembered that he's super privileged and rich? And not rich because he worked really hard to earn all this money, but rich because he got lucky and inherited the money. And bribing these people means nothing because he has so much money that like the fact that he spent a bunch of money doesn't mean anything. It's not like, oh, I'm going to feel this bump in my savings. No, it's like, no, it's just his money is meaningless to me because I have infinite. So it's like, Is that romantic? That's just he has a bunch of privilege he's willing to share with you. 
I hear that. I still feel like the gesture is romantic and like the activity. I agree that it's romantic, but like Lorelai's just like fucking anime girl eyes. Like, oh my God, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Just Google eyes the whole time. Yeah. Like when Lorelai watched Titanic, where she was like, oh, Cal's pretty cool. I'm not a big fan of this Jack Dawson guy because he couldn't buy me anything with his privilege. Did you Google those names? I did. I was going to say, no way you remember the names of the people in Titanic. No, not at all. I, well, I originally was going to say Billy Zane. <laughs> I was like... I was going to say, I could have told you Jack and Rose. I don't know that I would have pulled out Billy Zane's name. Anyway, like I said, Lorelai is all googly eyes about this. I will concede that maybe she's like hungry delirious, so this does seem incredibly romantic. Like I said, the place is totally staffed. That's awkward. They're just all standing there in a yeah, line watching Watching. Them. It's so weird. It's like me behind the door just through the people... <laughs> Watching the whole thing. Oh, <laughs> I, love I will say, women work. <laughs> I will say the view is nice. They have like the best table. You can see the Eiffel Tower outside. It looks beautiful. beautiful I mean, it looks screen. fake, but it looks beautiful fake. It doesn't look that. I mean, it looks fine. It's just probably a picture that they've got outside of a window in yeah. LA somewhere. But Chris goes on to talk about how they used to fantasize when they were young about traveling to Paris and how they would be sleeping at park benches because they were broke and how romantic that was and he'd do anything for her. I looked it up. They did talk about sleeping on a park bench in that flashback episode. It's funny because she says, I can't believe you remembered that. That's probably like the writers talking to each other in the room. I can't believe you remembered something from a previous (laughs) Gilmore Girls season script. That's insane. We got to use that. Lorelai gets horny when people are nice to her, so then she's all like, after this, let's go back to the hotel and have sex. They say they love each other. They do. She doesn't say I love you very often. She doesn't. She is very Paris drunk, though. She's just, in this moment, just so happy. Everything is super romantic. Dawn is approaching, and then Christopher proposes. Oh, the time of day, not the character from Buffy. It's like, what? (laughs) Dawn is showing up. She's just throwing glitter on him. (laughs) Get out of this restaurant. It's supposed to be closed. My mom wants to have a romantic date with her new demon fiance. (laughs) Yeah, it turns out he's really nice. It was all consensual. (laughs) He just wants to take her out. I think they're going to leave me here with Gigi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chris says, like, hey, remember when I said I would wait till I was 80? And Lorelai's like, holy shit, you're referencing another old Gilmore Girl episode? Even though it was, like, two ago, it's still impressive for this writer's room. He's like, well, I don't want to wait until I'm 80. And he proposes. And when he proposes, he's like, let's do it now, like here in Paris. Like, let's do what Luke and Nicole did and get married while we're on vacation because that worked out so well for them. It'll work out great for us. She's hesitant. She's all like, I don't know. Like, you know, we're still testing out our relationship. We've only been dating a few months. And like, maybe we should wait for Rory. And he's all like, Rory's going to love it. Let's do it. And then she's all like, okay, Paris is great. Let's get married. Well, she doesn't say that. It's left at a cliffhanger. I don't really get why he needs to do it now. I think, sure, make it happen soon. Get engaged in Paris. That's very romantic. Why do they have to get married? Well, I think he wants to lock it down. I think he's just like, you have a knack for slipping out of engagements, so I would like to just get married now. Yeah, but it does make sense to wait for Rory. I agree, but I I get Chris's thoughts here. It's just like, I need to lock this down. Okay, so back at Yale, Rory and her friends have gotten back to their apartment. And Lucy's boyfriend is over. Throughout this whole episode, Lucy and Olivia have done this thing where they casually refer to Lucy's boyfriend as boyfriend. And Lucy does that too. Like, she calls her boyfriend, boyfriend. And it's supposed to seem like this cute, quirky thing that they do, right? Like, you know, like a quirky character would say this kind of stuff. I feel like it's fine that Lucy does it. It's weird that Olivia does it too. I don't know. It seems like something friends might do as a joke. 
we've done weirder things than that. I mean, it's for a reason, writing-wise. It's for a script reason, 100%. Because then we have a big reveal. They go into the apartment to meet the boyfriend, and guess what? It's Marty, the best friend that she friend-zoned in season five. Lucy turns Marty around, and there's this subtle moment where you can definitely see that he recognizes Rory and goes into shock for a moment. I actually watched it a few times, and I think the actor does a really good job of it. It's just sort of, she turns him around. He doesn't even, like, do a big facial expression or anything. You can just see him, like, processing everything. And But before Rory can say anything, Marty acts like they're just meeting for the first time. He's like, actually, it's Marty, and then shakes her hand. Rory, who is giving some, like, really heavy Dorothy vibes in this outfit, is mm. nonplussed and just says, you too. Like, you guys got to go watch this outfit. I don't know what she's doing there. She's just standing there looking like a confused Gidget or like a perplexed Marianne from Gilligan's Island. She just looks like a dumbstruck farm girl. She looks gorgeous. <laughs> like, her eyes are so blue against this outfit and her hair is perfectly curled and pink. Yeah, I know, but she looks like Dorothy, man. It's like the writers were like, look, she's going to look like a dumb farm girl, but her eyes are going to pop so goddamn much. <laughs> Popping like it looks like bad CGI, but she does. She looks gorgeous. Her eyes are like, just you, they could not pop more. They're, like, about to just come out of her head. It was annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, stop, Rory. I, you could just tell the costume designer was like, listen, you're going to look like an idiot, but you're going to be the most beautiful idiot on the planet. Also, that I guess that would be what's-her-face. Yeah, I'll check with Valerie if she whispered that <laughs> to Alexis. <laughs> yeah. Valerie Campbell, set costumer, would have probably been the one draping her hair over shoulders. Follow her on TikTok. Link below. Then Rory privately asked Marty why he did that. And at first he says, what do you mean? And I'm like, dude, you, what are you talking about? What do you mean, what do you mean? Why'd you wear that shirt? No, why the hell did you pretend not to know me, obviously? Like, that's such a weird line from, what do you mean? Fuck you, man. You know what she means. Marty says, well, it doesn't matter. And then the girls come back before Rory can sing anything more. And Lucy starts flirting with Marty. And then she starts saying stuff like, isn't boyfriend's hair great? Rory doesn't know what to say. This is all like a sitcom ending. Like, Rory's all like, what? And then we just like, Focus on her face. I half expected it to like zoom in on her face like a big oval and then like cut to whimsical music. I don't know. I liked it because they just continue to talk to Marty as if nothing's weird to them. And he continues to pretend that nothing's weird. So it's just her like hearing their conversation trying to process what the fuck this means. Yeah, I guess. I also just don't understand what Marty's issue is here. Like, is it embarrassing I get that he's maybe worried about the status of his current relationship if she finds out that he was, like, in love with Rory. That might make things awkward. Yeah, but I feel like... Maybe it's embarrassing, because she, like, friend-zoned him. Sure. I could see that being embarrassing, but a couple things. First off, Marty, you left Alexis Bledel, which is painful. I get it. But you ended up with Kristen Ritter, so just, you're fine, man. It's good. You're fine. You did... It was not... uh, it, It was a good move, man. My thing is... Lucy just, like, spent the weekend with Rory. Yeah. He does not know that she hasn't told him his name. Absolutely. Unless he 100% knows she's never once said his name, never would, never will. Rory could have been like, what's his name, though? Marty. Oh, I know a Marty. There's not 100 Martys. They're going to figure out it was him. And she was close friends with her. He doesn't know that they haven't had the conversation. Yeah. So, like, he's kind of taking a gamble that it wasn't going to go wrong. Totally. And there's so much here that is just, like, risky. Like, okay, it seems like Rory's become maybe a good friend of hers, and we might see Rory a lot. There's not an insignificant chance that something would come up where they find out that they were friends. I think what he should have said is, oh, yeah, I know Rory. We had a class together once. Mm -hmm. Because that sort of lets Lucy know, I know this girl, and it lets Rory know, this is all I want Lucy to know about us at this time. Yeah. And then if he decides he wants to disclose more later, what he said wasn't a lie. 
they did have a class together and he can choose to expand more on it. Yeah. Or he could just be like, oh, yeah, Rory and I were really good friends in school. And then the next chance he gets, he could say, hey, Rory, I would just like love it if you didn't bring up that, like, you know, I took a shot at us. I don't know. It made me feel a little awkward about Lucy if we could just not mention that part. And there's, of course, Rory would not mention it if he didn't want her to. Because, like, what happened? He told her, like, hey, I have feelings for you. And she's like, I'm sorry, I don't. And he was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to try to, like, get over that. It wasn't like she was lording it over him or something. She's, like, empathetic for him. Yeah, he's just being a baby by wanting to hide it and not deal with it. It doesn't make any sense. And I feel like it just destroys all the growth we were getting from Marty from that season. I feel like Rory was, like, trying to do the right thing. He was like, I have feelings for you. I told you that's the right thing to do. You don't reciprocate my feelings, and that's hurtful, so I'm just going to, like ignore my feelings and try to move on that's like what an adult does and it's hurtful and it's embarrassing but that's part of life and at the end of the day it's not something to really be embarrassed about this thing is like ah nah he sucks like all right okay cool all right anyway enough of that rant then we cut to Lorelai and chris arriving back home they sit on the couch exhausted lauren graham goes out of her way to hide her ring finger were you looking yeah of course I mean, he, he asked, let's get married, and then we didn't get resolution to that, so of course I'm looking for that finger. He kisses her and calls her Mrs. Hayden. She smiles, and then we see that she's got a big old wedding ring. Chris says he's going to go get something from the car. They kiss. It's romantic and nice. He leaves, and then we see Lorelai, like, thoughtfully stroking the ring while lost in thought. She gives us one of those looks like, oh, I've made a mistake. What do I do? I hate that. Yeah. Even if it was a mistake and we find that out in the next episode or something, I kind of just wish the cliffhanger would have been, they got married, Uh Mm uh-oh, instead of they got married and she's not sure. Right. Because she seemed so, I mean, she didn't seem sure about getting married. She seemed sure about them being together. Yeah. So I don't know. I just wish that was like a different episode's revelation. Yeah. I mean, I think you also have a soft spot for Christopher and Lorelai, so I think you like want them to sit in some happiness at some point. And the show doesn't really let us do that. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with it as much. But I, I am sort of tired of this trope, though. The Lorelai doesn't know what she wants. Right. She's going to make decisions and then question them. It's just like, we've done this like season after season after season. That's why I'm like, if you don't want this to be a for sure thing, like let her figure that out after they've been married a minute. Don't yeah. like, make her immediately regret her choice. Right. Hmm. So, Stacey, do you think this is a good episode of Gilmore Girls? So I'm pretty sure this is like the lowest IMDb rated episode of Gilmore Girls. Like of the whole show? I think it might be. People hate it. It's wow. low. It's like 6.7. I feel like there's been worse ones. For sure. I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. I think people hate it because they hate Christopher and they get married oh. in this episode. Okay. Yeah, sure. I think people hate Marty mm-hmm. specifically because of this. And this sure, is in yeah. this episode. So I think that has a lot to do with it. But other than, like, the time confusion, I think it was pretty fun to watch. I thought they were cute in Paris. Yeah. There was a lot of funny stuff with them. Their chemistry was good. Rory's meltdown was a little... This is probably an example of her crying badly. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I liked the little girls' weekend away with those friends, even though... Yeah. I don't know that I love these friends in general, but, like, that was nice. It's fun to see Rory having friends and having a good time and, like, not every single thing being about, like, getting better grades. And I actually thought the Lane story was all really good. Yeah. Zach and Mrs. Kim is like a delightful pairing. Yeah, I agree. Even though I hate Zach, but I do agree that he has funny dialogue with Mrs. Kim. There's a lot of good jokes in that story. Cool. (laughs) 
so yeah, I enjoyed watching the episode. And I don't hate Lorelai and Christopher together, so I don't hate that they got married. I just hate that they twisted the end like that. And the Marty thing was weird, but I thought it was fine drama. Yeah, it just seems manufactured to me. I just feel like no one would do that. When I say no one, I guess it probably has happened in history. I just think it's like such a dumb thing. I think it's a stupid move, but I buy that Marty would do it. Okay. So I'm going to say it was good. Okay, okay. Did you like it? I thought it was fine. You had a lot of qualms. I had a lot of problems with just like the timeline and stuff. And I was like, wait, what? And I also, so Christopher having all this money and like using it to woo Lorelai, I don't have a problem with that because that is what someone with that kind of money would do. But I I hate that it's just like the most romantic thing in the world to Lorelai when it's like, okay, but like. She hates us. It's just privilege. And like, yeah, you talk about how you hate that kind of stuff. And here you are just like reveling in it. But I think some of the romance for her is the nostalgia. Like, oh, we did plan this trip. Yeah. And we couldn't do it because our life got interrupted. But like, here we are. We made it. I hear that. And I I don't know. There is something romantic about that. Like being with the person that, you know, was kind of like the one that got away. Yeah. Finally in the right place at the right time. I feel like that's a really romantic thing. And you're in Paris and you're like out alone in the middle of the night. That's romantic. Yeah. I get why they got married. I mean, she probably should have waited for Rory. But I I get why they get engaged. See, if I were Lorelai in this situation, I think I would have been like, I 100% will get engaged to you. That's And that's a huge deal. I just, yeah. I, I want to wait for Rory to get married. You can, for sure, I mean, yeah, I, I get what you're saying about, like, Christopher wants to lock it down, but she should have won that argument by being like, but Rory, which he should have respected. Yeah, she should have been like, listen, we're still going to do crazy good sex stuff tonight, but I will be a fiancé, okay? <laughs> so, Brian, which episode do you think was better? Buffy. Yeah, I think so, too. I just think this Buffy was, like, one of those Buffies where everything is, like, almost perfect. Just like, wow, you did a great job. You put a bow on it. They put a bow on the top with the title? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I did not hate this Gilmore Girls. I've pointed out what I didn't like about it, but I think Gil- it just doesn't stand up to this Buffy. Yeah, I low IMDb raters, I think you're just being sensitive about mm-hmm. things you might not like about this episode. I think it's better than Go Bulldogs. Yeah. For sure. The previous mm-hmm. episode. It's memorable. Plot stuff happens. I remember the plot stuff from this episode. I enjoyed it, but yeah, it was just a really great Buffy that was better and set up a lot of plot stuff for Buffy as well. Yeah. Well, if you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 7, Episode 8, Introducing Lorelei Planetarium. Oh my God, it's going to (laughs) happen. Okay. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 7, Episode 8, Sleeper. Is Giles asleep or is the horse? (laughs) Giles is in this, Giles is in this episode. Is Giles just asleep the whole episode? Is that why you were? Is the horse asleep? I can't talk about it. We will talk about it after the episode. Okay. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Like, how does time work in Paris? (laughs) Have you ever been to Paris where people rude to you? Did you say you were American? What do you think it was about that bowl that that demon really didn't like? (laughs) He's just like, I gotta wash glitter out of my wings. Sucks. (laughs) Without any spoilers, do you think it was Joyce who was talking to Dawn? You can email me the spoilers if you want. Just tag it so Stacey doesn't read it. Why do you think Marty lied? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. That's at Gilmore Slayer. We post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacey with an EY. 
For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacey, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscribers, Rochelle Nicole and Anastasia Heim. Thank you. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode descriptions or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. All right, we gotta go call Amazon, make sure things are okay. Okay. Uh, not on some kind of list. No, probably not. <laughs> Bye, guys. Buffy the Gilmore Slayer.